Well, today we're going to talk about the importance of repenting, not only for our own sins, but the sins of our nation. And if you already have your Bible open to the book of Joel, just remember that he is one of the earliest prophets. The timeline that I put together, and it's on the insert that's uh, in your bulletin this morning, gives you a, just a semblance of, of how these prophets relate to one another chronologically. And Joel's one of the earlier prophets. And what's unique, just as Obadiah last week preached to the Edomites and not to the Israelites, Joel is preaching to the Israel, to the Jews. He's speaking to them, but, but it's about just one single event in their nation, in their lives. And, it, and it's this massive invasion of locusts during a time of devastating drought that ruined their crops, brought about hunger and, and, and just great despair. But what he says to them is that these locusts were God's army. That God had sent this, this disaster, this natural catastrophe, if you will, on the people of Israel as judgment for their sins. And the prophet says what they need to do is repent. And I want to suggest to us that some of the challenges we face as a people today, some of the struggles we have as a nation and as a state are the direct results of sinful choices on our part, the part of others, those who came before us. But sin always results in the judgment of God. It, it shows up in a lot of different ways. But it shows up. And what we need to do is exactly what Joel said the people of Israel needed to do, and that is to repent. And it's not just our nation that needs to repent. Brothers and sisters, it's those of us in this room. It's those who are watching by television. We need to repent of our own sin and of the sins of our nation. And I want you to look at what he said in the beginning of this book. Would you stand in honor of God's Word, please, as we read together Joel chapter 1. Let's look at the first three verses, and then we'll walk through others. But let's begin with these first three verses. <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to Joel. Verse 2. Hear this, O elders, the leaders of Israel, and listen, all the inhabitants of the land, all the citizens of the nation. He said, pay attention. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? He's saying this, this, this invasion of locusts and the devastation that it's bringing on the nation, the drought they're enduring, is, is the worst natural disaster, the worst calamity they have endured in decades. I mean, even their fathers don't remember anything as bad as what they were experiencing at this moment in history. He said in verse 3, tell your sons about it. And let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. It's as though people still talk about the Great Depression from the 1930s here in America. He said, this is a story that's going to be told among your descendants because it is that, that devastating. And it's my prayer that today God speaks to us, to me and to you about sin and about repentance about the present day and about the past, about things that sometimes we're defensive about, that we need God to simply soften our heart, open our mind, and clear our eyes so we can see the way God sees things. So thank you, and please be seated. Now in verse 4, he describes the development of locusts. Look at it. 
He says, gnawing locust is left, the swarming locust is eaten. And what the swarming locust is left, the creeping locust is eaten. And what the creeping locust is left, the stripping locust. They plant these eggs in the dirt. And then they hatch, and then they crawl, and then they hop, and then they fly, and they climb all over everything. He's talking about the different stages of physical development of, of these, these eggs that become full-flying locusts. And at each stage of development, they eat different things than just the devastation they bring on the landscape. And he says, do you know how bad it is? He says in verse 5, it's so bad that the alcoholics are crying. Verse 5, he says, Awake, drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you wine drinkers, on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. You know what he's, what he's saying? He's saying this devastation is so bad, there's no grapes. There's nothing from which to make wine. The alcoholics can't find anything to drink, and they're devastated. He said even the drunks are crying, it's so bad. The 2013... Israel had another invasion of locusts. And, of course, we're able to treat it now in ways they couldn't years ago. But even today, it leaves devastation. It, it, it just ruined their crops that year. And to give you how bad, and give you an idea of how bad a locust invasion can be, one locust can eat their weight in food every single day. They can fly more than 80 miles a day, and they can gather in swarms that are so Thick is as much as 200 million of them per square mile. One female can lay as many as 1,000 eggs in just uh, just uh, a small area of ground, and then they hatch and reproduce. One ton of locusts. Now listen to this. One ton of locusts, which is just a small fraction of an average swarm, can eat as much food as almost 3,000 people in a day. And so you can just extrapolate that with billions of locusts in one of these swarms and the devastation they bring to the, to the, to the food industry and, and, and to people that just crawl all over the walls. They fly all over. They just ruin everything. And so in verse 6, he describes it like a, a foreign nation, a foreign army has invaded them. All these locusts flying all over the country, destroying everything. It's like, it's like a large army, all their soldiers just swooping in and, and wrecking havoc. In verse 11, he talks about the farmers and how they're weeping because they have no crops. In verse 13, he says the priest, the religious leaders are putting on sackcloth and crying and mourning and weeping all night because the people don't have anything to bring as an offering. There's no grain, there's no wine, there's nothing they can give to God because everything has been destroyed by these invading Locust. And in verse 20, the water brooks have dried up. It's a double whammy. You've got this invasion of crops, of crop eating and tree eating locusts, and, and, and it's in the middle of a devastating drought. And to give you a sense, chapter 2, verse 3, he paints an image. Look, look at chapter 2, verse 3. Here's the image he, he gives us to describe how bad it was. He said, A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate, desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes. You know what he's saying? He's saying as all these locusts fly in, in front of them, before them, it's like the Garden of Eden. It's beautiful. It's lush. It's green. It's got all kinds of fruit and food. It's just fantastic. But after they swarm in, what's left behind them? A desolate wilderness. 
Everything is gone. Everything. The Garden of Eden is desolate. He said it's just horrible and nothing, nothing, not one blade of grass, not one crop, not one thing that's green escapes. So you get the picture of how bad it is. In verse 11 of chapter 2, the Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. He's saying this invasion of locusts is God's army. God sent them to get the people's attention, to judge the people and bring them to a place of repentance. Now let me ask you a question. Is it possible... That some of the deep, deep problems we struggle with as a country are the result of our sins. Is that possible? So now God has not told me, I'm not an Old Testament prophet. God has not told me this disaster is his direct judgment for this particular sin. And you'll never hear me say, this event is the direct result of that sin. And anytime anybody speaks in the name of God and says, this is the result of that, don't listen to them. Okay? Because God's not telling us which disaster is the result of what sin. You don't speak for God unless God comes down and says, hey... I told you to say this. Otherwise, be very careful. We, we, we blame God for too many things too many times. But there is the biblical principle that some things happen as an expression of the judgment of God because of our sins. I may not know which ones. You may not know which ones. But it is a biblical truth, it is a biblical principle that sometimes God says, I need to get your attention. Are you going to wake up? And He allows things to happen. He sends problems. He sends calamities to get our attention because of our sin. And it's not just the sins we commit today, but it's the sins of the past as well. It's the sins that others committed in the past. And we suffer for them. Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. Do you remember this verse? The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Aren't you thankful for that? It's that grace we were singing about a moment ago. The verse continues, however. But. And anytime you see that in a statement, you need to... Listen, pay attention. God is slow to anger. Great love. Wants to forgive. All our sin. But, but, He will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity. What is iniquity? What is it, church? Sin of the fathers on whom? For how long? Sometimes the third and fourth generation. And I asked again, is it possible that some of the deep-rooted issues we struggle with as a people, as a nation, 
is the judgment of God? And is it the consequences of sins that we are guilty of today and sins that our ancestors were guilty of in the past? What does Scripture say? Scripture says the answer to that question is yes. It is quite possible. So what do we need to do? The same thing God told the people in Joel's day to do. We need to repent. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1. Joel chapter 1 verse 14. He says, consecrate a fast. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. What is a solemn assembly? It's a gathering of the people of God in brokenness to pray and repent. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to whom? To the Lord. Turning to God in brokenness and in repentance. In Luke 13, Jesus talked about two disasters that took place in his lifetime. He tells about a group of Galileans who were worshiping and offering sacrifices at the temple and Pilate had them slaughtered while they were worshiping. And then he tells about a tower that fell on a group of people and 18 people died. And one of the thoughts that people in Jesus' day had that some today have that is not true, it's not biblical, one of the thoughts they had was that if something bad happens to somebody, that is proof they're a worse sinner than those that it didn't happen to. Wonder what so-and-so did to cause that to happen to him. And so Jesus asked that question. Did Pilate kill these? And did the tower fall on those 18 and kill them because they were worse sinners than others? You know what Jesus answered? You know what he said? He said, no. They weren't worse sinners. It did not happen to either group because they were worse sinners. He said, no. Then he added, you all must repent or you all will likewise perish. You know what Jesus is saying? In a very real sense, he says, you're asking the wrong question when you ask all the time why something bad happened to somebody. He said, a better question for each of us to ask is why are bad things not happening to me? Because sometimes we forget just how, how sinful we really are. They're not worse than us. We're all sinners. The Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the question to ask is why has the grace of God protected you? We forget that we really are sinful. That we really are worthy at times of God's judgment in our own lives. Look in Joel chapter 2 as he describes repentance. And I want us to talk about it and then I want to get really personal for a few moments. And touch on some sensitive issues. Joel chapter 2 verse 12. He says to the people, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. 
with fasting, weeping, and mourning. There's a brokenness when we repent. You see, repentance is not regret. Regret doesn't equal repentance. You can regret a lot of things doesn't mean you're repenting of anything. You can regret getting caught. You can regret something bad has happened. That's not repentance. Repentance has a brokenness, a contrition, a sorrow, a sadness to it because you recognize your guilt. And you don't make excuses. You're not defensive about it. You're just honest and broken about the sin. And we fast, he says, and, and we, we, we return to God with weeping and with mourning. He said, verse 13, and, and rend, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord. They, in their culture, someone during a time of grief, if someone died and they were grieving or if, if they were repenting, they would, they would tear their clothes. He, God, God is saying, I'm, I'm not just interested in the outer stuff you do. I'm more concerned about the inner stuff, your heart. Can you rend your heart? Can you tear your heart? Can you open your heart? The outer stuff is easy. It's the inner stuff. That's the hard work. Return to the Lord in verse 13, for He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, relenting in evil. He wants to forgive and change the direction of things. Verse 14, who knows whether He will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind. We'd rather have a blessing than a calamity. Verse 15, blow a trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation. Now notice this, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants. He says every age group, from the youngest to the oldest, from the newborn babe to the senior saint, gather and repent. At the end of verse 16, let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. If you're on your honeymoon, come to the church and get right with God. That's how bad things are. Those who should be celebrating instead need to mourn and repent for the sin that is in the land. Verse 17, let the priest and the Lord's ministers Weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach. Do you get the picture of what repentance is? Now, I want to talk about three things we need to repent for. Number one. We need to repent for our own sins. My sin and your sin. There's sin in my life. There's sin in your life. And the Bible tells us in the book of 1 John chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we make God to be a liar. 
God tells us in the book of Romans, there's none righteous, no, not one. Every, every one of us, no matter how good we think we are, there's sin in our lives, and we need to repent of it with brokenness before God. Do you remember 2 Chronicles 7.14? It's a verse we often read when it comes to revival in America. But look at it today with fresh eyes. My people who are called by my name humble themselves. Listen, humility when it comes to repentance means you're not making excuses. You're not being defensive. As long as you're making excuses, as long as you're being defensive, there's no humility and therefore there's no repentance. Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Joel, return to the Lord. Turn back to God. Seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. Stop doing those things that are wrong. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal what? But who does God tell to repent in that verse? Christians. His people. See, we're really good sometimes at yelling about what people in Washington or people in Hollywood do, but we don't want to look in the mirror and think about what we do. And God says, if you want this land to be healed, it begins where? Here. It doesn't begin in D.C. It doesn't begin in Hollywood. It begins in this room. It begins in the churches of Jesus Christ with the people of God getting right with God and living righteously. Until you and I repent of our sin, there will be no healing in this land. It doesn't matter who we elect to the presidency. It doesn't matter who we elect to Congress. It doesn't matter who we elect as governor. It doesn't matter who we elect on county council. Unless the people of God get right with God, there's no healing for the land. Cry out to the Lord. That's biblical repentance. But here's the second, number two. We need to repent for the sins of our nation. See, Joel invited the whole nation together and repent. Broken homes and devastated families and ruined marriages litter the landscape of this nation. Sexual promiscuity, it's not just the homosexual agenda, it's just the loose sexual mores of of people who think they're doing good, people who go to church. Corruption at every level of government and business and industry. Unless some of you think it's not our responsibility to repent for the sins of our nation, I want you to look at what God says in the ninth chapter of Daniel, just to, for convenience, I put these on the screen so you can look at them. But it's the ninth chapter of Daniel. Now you have to remember, Daniel was in Babylon. Daniel's the, the last of the major prophets, okay? Daniel was carried as a slave, as a young man. When Babylon conquered Jerusalem, he was carried to Babylon and spent his life serving God in Babylon, as a prophet in Babylon. And near the end of his life, when Darius the Mede, when the Persians conquered Babylon, 
The one that would eventually allow the Jews to come back to Jerusalem if they wanted to and rebuild the temple. Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied that they would be in captivity for 70 years. And Jeremiah one day, Daniel rather one day, is re- he's reading the prophet Jeremiah's writings. And so he says in the first year of Darius, I, Daniel, in the middle of the verse, observed in the book's the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Next slide. And so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer, supplication, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, sackcloth and ashes for a Jewish person, a symbol of brokenness and mourning and repentance and seeking God. And so I prayed to the Lord God, and notice what he said, and I confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Next slide. We, what did he say? The people who sinned that brought captivity to the Jewish nation were already dead. They had been in captivity for 70 years. The judgment of God had fallen on the people of Israel because of the sins of Daniel's parents' and grandparents' generations. The people who were living with Daniel in Babylon were the descendants of those who had been deported. Seven decades had passed. Do you get the picture? And Daniel said, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled. When did they rebel? 70, 80, 100, 120 years earlier. Next verse. Moreover, we, again, did you see the plural? He's not just praying for himself. He's praying for his people. He's praying for those who were alive in his day and those who would already died. He's praying. We have not listened. We didn't listen to the prophets. We didn't listen to Jeremiah. We didn't listen to Isaiah. We didn't listen to Amos. We didn't listen to Hosea. Who spoke to the kings and princes and all the people of the land. To the whole nation. Next slide. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us, what? Shame. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. He, he places himself corporately within, within that nation's story, and he says, God, we as a people blew it. I'm confessing and I'm repenting on behalf of all of us alive today and in the past for our sins that have brought our nation to this place, to this day. Next slide. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness for we rebelled. We did not obey. It's before us all all of this. Next slide. Indeed, all Israel, what does he say? All Israel has transgressed. 
And so the curse, what's the curse? The destruction of Jerusalem and the deportation of their people to Babylon. The curse has been poured out on us, on all of us, for we've all sinned. So we, we too often like to point the finger at other groups and say it's their fault, it's their problem. But God won't allow His children to do that. Next slide. Therefore the Lord kept this calamity in store and brought it on us. It was decades in the making because we didn't obey His voice. We didn't listen to His word. We didn't listen to His prophets. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. You see, they could not have the future they wanted and dreamed of. They could not have the future God had in mind for them until they honestly dealt with the sin of their day and their past. We sometimes want to just turn over a new leaf and do better without ever confessing and repenting and dealing with the wrong that's been done. So we need to repent for our own sins and for the sins of our nation. Now listen to me. Don't put the next slide up yet. Just wait. Listen to me. Because this is where it's going to get a little sensitive. But it's biblical. And we've got to face it as the people of God. Not only do we need to repent for the sins that we've committed and the sins of our nation, we have to repent for the sins of our fathers and our nation's past. Next slide. That is exactly what Daniel was doing as the prophet of God to the people of God. I remember there was some controversy, but it was the right thing to do 21 years ago. In 1995, when our Southern Baptist Convention repented of the racism in our history, when we, meeting in Atlanta, adopted a resolution that acknowledged when our convention was founded in the 1840s, as many others at that time were, racism was at the heart of it. Division over slavery and so Baptists divided between north and south. That's our history. In this resolution, we acknowledged that over the years, segregation and racism separated God's children by skin color in our churches. And in this resolution, our convention repented and apologized and asked forgiveness of our African-American brothers and sisters. You can find it online easily. Now, some people often say, why do we need to deal with the past? Let's just do better in the future. But when a husband cheats on his wife or a wife cheats on her husband, just doing better in the future won't heal the marriage if there's no genuine brokenness over the sin that was committed. Relationships relationships take genuine Repentance. 
genuine forgiveness. And what we do is not determined by the response of others. It's simply determined by what the Word of God says we as the people of God are supposed to do. And nothing else. And so my question is, have you, in your own life, begged God's forgiveness? Not just for your sins, but for the sins of this nation and for the sins of our past. Simply because that is what God says His children are supposed to do. Next Sunday, you'll be given a prayer guide to use each day in October. So, Praying for America prayer guide, Pray 31 it's called. It's a booklet. I want you to get a copy. And each day next month, pray for our nation. And the first Wednesday in November, November 2, we're going to have a day of fasting. And at 6.30 that evening, we're going to gather in this room and pray for this country. But my brothers and sisters, please hear me with all your heart. Our prayers for this nation are futile if we don't repent for our sin and those of our nation before asking God to bless this land and heal it. And there is a marked difference, brothers and sisters, between repentance and being defensive. Between repentance and simply trying to do better. There is a brokenness. There is an acknowledgement. There is an honesty. There is an integrity. Not just for my own sins, but those of my fathers. That is what God's Word teaches. So prepare yourself for that day of prayer. I'm, I'm praying for this country. But I've got to do more than just pray for this nation's future. All of us do. I'll leave you with this. In Joel chapter 3, verse 16, at the end of that verse he says, The Lord is a refuge for his people. With all these issues, all these problems, all these challenges, where do we go? To the Lord. And if you try to go anywhere else, you try to go anywhere else to fix this. You try to fix it any other way than what God lays out in Scripture. You, you go anywhere else as a refuge. It won't work. The problems will just get worse and worse and worse. The infection will grow. The gangrene will spread until we allow God to clean it out through genuine biblical repentance. And I pray that you have a heart of love for Christ and humility of mind to hear what God's trying to teach us about our own need for brokenness and our own need for repentance. We need that much more than we need anger, much more than we need resentment. We need brokenness and we need repentance. 
for God to heal this land. And I invite you to make your way to this altar when we sing this song of invitation and begin the process in your own life to repent, to pray for healing. I invite you to come to a pastor and say, Jesus is not my refuge. God's not my hiding place. I've never been saved. I've never given my life to Christ. But today I want to run into the arms of Jesus and allow him to forgive me and change me. Come to one of our pastors or decision counselors and say, today I want to join First Baptist Church. Let's stand. Father, move us, move among us, speak to us, draw us, and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. You come right now while we sing together.